Welcome to the Sermon of the Week podcast. In this week's episode, Pastor Ben Davis continues the series on family with a message on parents and children. We've been in a series about the family, and this is uh, message number two about the family. Um, uh, I call it Free to Be Family series. The first one was on um, how marriage matters. And then the second one, this one today, is on chasing children. And then we'll, uh, Pastor John will be preaching uh, next weekend because m- my family and I will be on vacation. And uh, he'll be doing uh, borders and boundaries within family relationships. I actually polled the people and, they a- and I asked them, you know, what subjects would you like to hear? And borders and boundaries came up as, a, uh, as something that more than one person wanted discussed about changing relationships um, within the family as people age and they go into different seasons of life. And I'm getting feedback from the monitor up here. Um, and then, uh, then we'll have September 20th will be Church on the Lawn, and then September 27th we'll do fun and finances. You know finances are meant to be fun, right? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> They're meant to be fun. So, so fun and finances. So today we're talking about children and chasing um, children. And so, um, so we want to uh, kind of lay out what the Bible says can be a utopia atmosphere in the family. And so I want to lay that out. Now, how many of you have seen the show called The Truman Show with Jim Carrey? Would you raise your hand if you've seen The Truman Show? Pretty good showing of seeing The Truman Show. Even young people have seen it. I like it. That was an amazing uh, movie. And um, in the movie, you know, the creator of Truman's world uh, operated under a thesis that, um, you know, we as people will accept what we are conditioned to accept. And so he built Truman's uh, world around this man that the corporation officially adopted as a baby in the womb and then raised the baby under a protected environment. And then Truman's show is fully blossomed whenever that man became a young adult. And so it was a, a utopian world that caught on in the movie as, as really, really popular because uh, people like to escape from their world of turmoil and chaos and disruption. And what they would do is they would watch the Truman Show because it was a world of utopia. Now, how many of you guys know that most of us do that in television? What we like to do is we like to escape our world of corruption, disruption, and negativity and go into a utopian world. You know, just the other day, this happened to me. I, last night, matter of fact, I decided to watch the evening news. And uh, I thought, you know, firstly, I got to thought about, man, it's chaos out there. And then secondly, I got to thought, these newscasters are losers. And then, uh, you know, uh, so, so I had all these negative emotions going through me. And so uh, when my wife got home, uh, she turned on this show about some people in New Zealand. And normally I don't sit down and watch her shows with her, but I began to see these people are in utopia. And you know what? It was a welcome distraction from the loser news to go into a utopian world for a while. And so I just transitioned on over there. So the Bible's going to lay out how we can have 
a world of utopia in our families. Of course, what they learned in the Truman Show is that no matter how well you shape a family member in this world of utopia, fallen sinful nature gets in there and causes problems. It breaks the world. And so the good news is that the Bible lays out, we understand that, but repentance is God's most precious gift to man to restart and rebuild. So it doesn't matter how broken your family is. It doesn't matter how disrupted your family is. You can always start over rebuilding the way God laid out for you, if you will. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And this is Paul's summary of how to do it. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so this would be the Apostle Paul's summary, basically what he did. He took the Old Testament, and he was an Old Testament expert. And he took his expertise and said, how can I summarize all of the teaching about family from the Old Testament into a short little paragraph in one letter to this church that I started. And these four verses are how he did that. So this would be a summary. Now, if you want more details, you can go back into the Old Testament, but this would be a summary, and we're just going to use the Apostle Paul's summary to build our utopia in family. And uh, I'm going to use as some examples uh, things that my children gave me because I texted them. I said, hey, give me some of your favorite memories along the way. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. One of my favorite memories um, of being a pastor was when I was a youth pastor for 18 years. And the youth would get close enough to me that they would confide in me. They trusted in me. And inevitably, I would get this phone call. Pastor Ben, my parents threw out all the TVs in my house. <laughs> Pastor Ben, my parents grounded me for two weeks and it wasn't even my fault. It's unfair. Pastor Ben, my dad yelled at me. I mean, I get these phone calls, right? And so I would always take them to Ephesians chapter 6 and have them read this. And actually, I would begin by reading it to them. And I would read it like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are right. <laughs> and all the moms and dads say, Amen. <laughs> and I'd see if I could catch them. Uh, and if they didn't get it, I'd say, now, is that what it says? And then after they think about it, they would say, well, no, that's not what it says. Well, I said, what does it say? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Notice that the Apostle Paul, from all of his Old Testament training, did not attempt to make the claim that parents are always right. Instead, what he did was say, you know what? 
This is the way that all children practice their righteousness. That word, this is right, is the word that we get righteousness from. It's the same word in 2 Corinthians um, uh, 5.21 that says that Jesus became sin, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Him. It's the exact same word. And so this is the way that children practice their righteousness. Now, how many of you know that we all fall short when we're trying to practice our righteousness. So the good news is that that God will give you a new beginning over and over, and most parents will give you a new beginning over and over again as you're practicing your righteousness. Now, anything that is practiced takes more practice to get better at. Would you agree? That's why they call it practicing medicine. Has anybody else noticed besides me that um, with this uh, strange disease um, that we're dealing with, that medical science has gotten about 90% of it wrong. Come on, has anybody else gotten that? That The rules keep changing, and the reason being it's called practicing medicine. God created biology in such a way that no matter how educated we get, we get it wrong. But we can practice and get better. We're better at it now than we were before. We understand more now than we did before. Children, practice your righteousness by obeying your parents in the Lord. Notice, by the way, parents, it's not just Christian parents that you have to obey. It's, it is to practice your righteousness in the Lord by obeying your parents. In other words, this is the way, if you're a child and you've got Jesus... This is the way you practice Jesus. So, when children learn to obey their parents, they practice their righteousness, and obedience brings blessing. Would you say that worth with me? Obedience brings blessing. blessing. Now, I was in a a major revival whenever I was in college. There was both an above-ground revival and a revival at the park. And uh, probably the most significant revival I have ever been in in my life. People were getting saved all over the place. People were uh, recommitting their lives to Christ. People were, were getting baptized in the Spirit. Miracles were happening. It was just, and it was one of those deals where the revival team was scheduled for a week and ended up being there for a month or two. It just went on and on in this crazy revival. But the theme of the traveling team that taught us that they had us repeat over and over again was obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings conflict. Can you say that with me? Say obedience brings blessing, but disobedience brings conflict. Of course, what they were trying to get us to do is obey the Holy Spirit's leading and obey Jesus But it also works in the home. Obedience brings blessing. It brings harmony, if you will. Disobedience brings conflict. Um, The classic example I remember of this is that, you know, all children are different. And we had one child that needed to learn everything hands-on. Anybody else had one of those children that they need to learn it firsthand? So it wasn't enough to say, now that burner will burn you. It wasn't enough to say, now don't touch the burner while it's hot, because it will hurt really bad. 
This child, because they needed to experience these things, intentionally waited until his mom's head was turned away from him and from the burner and reached up and put his fingers on the burner. And of course, you can imagine the effects of this. Took him a day or two to recover with his finger in ice crying the entire time. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings conflict. So I got to thinking about what kind of blessings um, does God uh, want to bless your family with? Now, so often as Americans, we think of financial blessings and those are good. Um, we think of being provided for, those are good. But you know, in the context of family, it goes a little deeper. So as my children gave me feedback on the blessings that they experienced, it fell into these other categories. One was emotional stability. The blessing of emotional stability. Now, we tried to create a culture of obedience. Now, have you noticed that there are some people that... Um, when you train them and you teach them to obey with consequences, that they will obey as long as the threat of consequences are upon them. But no matter how long that is, it could be an extended period of time, once the threat of consequences is removed, they are no longer obedient. Has anybody else known someone this way? And that's because obedience never got into the heart. We as humans do not have the ability to get obedience down into the heart. Only God can do that. That's why it's important to pray for your family members. So what we can do is train them so that the day that God comes to them and manifests himself to them, they will respond with heart obedience. And what I have found is that people that only respond in obedience when the active threat is upon them are cyclical in nature. They go round the mountain over and over again. But what I have found is that a person who the obedience sinks into their heart, they get to take another trip and leave the mountain. Their lives become less cyclical, and they just build on blessing after blessing after blessing. That's why I believe that it's so important as parents, especially with the young children, what you want to do is lay about a 10 to 1 ratio of affirmation so that you can bring discipline. You see, the more you affirm a child, the more you are able to discipline a child, and they need discipline. And so you have to begin by laying that foundation of affirmation in the era of broken families. I have the privilege of coming from a family that was not broken. My wife came from a family that was broken. In the era of broken families, it's not discipline that is the primary thing that's lacking. It's affirmation. And because there's no foundation of affirmation, you cannot apply the discipline to the correct level. So you have to be intentional to work that, that affirmation. So I got to asking my kids, what are some of the blessings that you enjoyed uh, growing up from our 
culture that we created. And one, one of my children, you know, re, uh, related this story of, well, I remember playing board games. And I got to thinking, man, of all the things you remember, you remember board games that we played? Of all of the crazy stuff we did as a family? And then they remembered when I would lay down on the floor and it was a game for them to walk on my back and see how long they could stay on my back before they fell off. For personal entertainment, I did move. <laughs> that emotional stability was what they treasured the most about their raising. Then another child, um, really, if I was going to put it into a category, it was relational comfort. This is a blessing, is relational comfort. Now, has anyone else needed to, in this crazy era we're in, to draw close to family and find comfort in that relationship. Has anybody else experienced that? You know, as a pastor, I discovered that in the early part of the pandemic, the people that suffered the worst, especially in the stay-home orders, were the people that did not have some family to draw into. And so we find comfort often by withdrawing into family, relational comfort. So one of my children said their favorite childhood memory were vacations where we slept in tents, hung around the campfire, and in one case, climbed Mount St. Helens. And I began to think, well, what is the common ingredient there? It was that we were doing it as a family. What are some of the blessings of creating a culture of obedience? And one child uh, answered with some things that caused me to say, you know what? Confidence is a blessing where you create a culture of obedience. This child, uh, their favorite memory was one year at Disney World. You know, we never had a lot of money as a family. My wife stayed home, and we were always on one income, and we had to find the inexpensive way to do everything. And so we made it to Disney one year, but, you know, we get, didn't get to do it first class. And um, I remember uh, going by the American Idol uh, you know, auditorium. And so we sat through American Idol there. We could try out. And, and, and that one person gets to go to the main, you know, tryouts and, that they choose. And so we'd been through that. Well, you know, one of our children had excelled in singing. So we said, hey, why don't you try out for American Idol? And they weren't going to do it. So I pulled out my wallet and started bribing. Man, I thought I'd get this thing done for 20 bucks. Not so. <laughs> this child must have seen my weakness, and they continued to hold out up until I think it was 60, 70 bucks before they finally agreed to try out. And then the thing that, that they related was that their brother became the manager. You know, you get to take one person back with you. So you've got an audition and you've got a manager and you've got to try out in private before you can even make the stage. And we learned, now, now they made it on the stage and what we learned, you know, then you get in there and you vote, you know what I'm saying? And I'm here to tell you, as parents, we learned something about that whole process. Because you've got little buttons on your seat, you know, you vote for this person. And as our child was on stage, of course, we are convinced they are the best one on stage. <laughs> 
And then they made it all the way through all of, and I think we went to three shows, you know, because if, if you make the cuts, you go to the next show. And so it was finally in the evening was the final show. And we were convinced that this child should get the golden ticket to go to American Idol. But we began to notice that in that setting, they set one person up to win. In other words, they'll do a special video on that person and they'll kind of coax you into voting. And that was not our child. And we began to see it and this started causing a deep offense in us. And then when the time comes to vote and they tally all the votes, some other girl who was, you know, sweet girl, but did not deserve to win. <laughs> One, I mean, you know, when you're thinking that other people in the room are not voting for your child, the offense just grows and grows and grows. See, a parent's belief in a child builds confidence in them that they can do anything. Obedience brings the blessing of utopia that God will design, but we must build. God designs it, but we must build it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if you know your Ten Commandments, what you know is that this is not the first commandment. What Paul is saying is this is the first commandment that has a promise directly tied to it. And so something about this command of honoring your father and your mother caused God to say, I need to attach a promise directly to this one in a unique way in the Ten Commandments so that people will be more inspired to seek the reward of this. Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and you may live long on the land. So what we learn is that honor brings prosperity. Now there is a difference between blessing and prosperity. I wrote some of what I believe the differences are down. Blessing is often immediate, but prosperity is long-term. Now, to put an example to that, a blessing might be miracle healing. Prosperity is miracle health. Now, how many of you really are craving miracle health in the day we're in? All right? A blessing could mean a windfall of finances, but prosperity means inner peace, not like the cartoon, but genuine inner peace that God gives you that because you're settled on the inside, you have the ability to be industrious and creatively think and build prosperity. There's a huge difference. Matter of fact, the Old Testament word for prosperity is actually the word peace. Because the thinking was, as there's peace on the inside, then you can build prosperity. A blessing can mean that you got your provision today, but prosperity means you know the provider for tomorrow. Blessing can mean God gave you Family, but prosperity is when you have peace in that family. 
Blessing can mean you got your dream job, but prosperity is learning to be fulfilled in that dream job. I just pulled out a couple. Now, as it relates to chasing children, honoring your father and mother will clear you out to better prosper in the way that you live your life. If you're not cleared out with your parents in an honoring relationship, you are poisoned. The good news is, if you are poisoned, the Holy Spirit is here to grant you the gift of repentance this morning. To begin to honor your parents, to remove the, the, the poison from your life so that you can prosper the way that God intends you to prosper. You see, as you age, it is possible that you're no longer under the influence of your parents. It is also possible that you are now living a little different than your parents think you should be living. I've seen this in Christian versus non-Christian families. Maybe someone gets radically saved into Christ, but their parents are not saved. And all of a sudden, they change their lives. They start living like Jesus, and their parents do not understand this. I've seen it lived out that way. But you can still honor your parents. And if you will, it will keep you cleared out so that you can prosper. Whenever I left for college, God began to work this into my heart just right out of the gate. It was the first time I was away from home, 18 years old. My, my dad, um, he was three children in my family, and my older brother kind of took advantage of my parents. You guys ever see that? You know, my older brother kind of, he took a little bit of advantage of my parents. And, and uh, so my dad kind of looked at the situation and said, we're not going to repeat that. So I wonder if my older brother's listening. And if he agrees that he took care of my parent, he took advantage of it. So, so what, what my dad did was he looked at that and he said, um, you know what, for this youngest son, I was the youngest, he'll not do that. So from the age of 15, my dad began to speak to me. Ben, when you graduate high school, you can live here for the summer. But after that, you're paying rent or you're moving out. Give it another month or two, and his dad would just casually walk by, you know, walking by, making some breakfast, or something. Ben, when you graduate high school, you'll either start paying rent or you're going to move out. Give it another couple of months. I'd hear it. Again. I bet I heard it 20, 25 times by the time I was like 17 years old. So I just assumed that when I graduated high school, I didn't have options. So. I went on, I went to college, lived in the dorm, it was good. But I wasn't there six months before the Holy Spirit began to prompt me to buy some cards and I began to write honoring letters to my dad and to my mom. And then when Mother's Day and Father's Day and birthdays would come around, I would write honoring letters to my mom and my dad. And God was positioning me with honor so that I could be positioned with prosperity. And I want to challenge you right now. You might be in a relationship that has some strife in it. That we understand the utopian worlds get broken. 
But what you've got to do is you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to help you, whether you agree or you disagree, to learn to honor your mother and your father so that you can inherit the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. My dad, um, we weren't raised in church, and, uh, but he lived many of the principles of, of God before me. And I knew years before my dad passed away that I would preach his funeral. I just had this knowing. I, the Holy Spirit put the seed in my heart. And when the day came that my dad passed away, sure enough, I was asked to preach his funeral. God gave me the message on the plane up there. And I preached my dad's funeral. I oversaw the entire memorial service. And apart from just the emotion of loss, it was not hard for me. And the reason it was not hard for me to preach his memorial and to oversee the entire thing and put it together was simply that I had already established years before honor. And that kept me cleared out to raise my children right, and to prosper. Verse 4 is the last part of the Apostle Paul's utopian world that he gives us. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And what we learn from this is that faith brings favor. Would you say faith brings favor? See, obedience is going to bring you blessing. Honor is going to bring prosperity. Faith brings you favor. So what the Apostle Paul is challenging the, uh, the dads to do is you need to make sure you impart faith to your children because that is, one, is what's going to enable them to experience the favor of the Lord. If you want a good New Testament example of this, it's the Christmas story where the same angel appeared to two different people and they responded differently to his appearance. He appeared to Zacharias, but he responded in doubt and unbelief and what was meant to be a blessing into his life favor in his life. He was chosen of all priests to be the guy. Turned out to be mute. mute. Put the mute button on that guy so he can't speak. And, you know, if you're a teacher, that's a bummer to get muted. You know what I'm saying? So God muted him. Then the same angel appeared to Mary and she responded in faith and the Lord said to her, highly favored one, because she responded in faith. Her faith enabled her to be positioned under the favor of the Lord. So he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Or we could spend a lot of time on, on how that happens, but mostly it happens whenever you're preaching one thing and living another. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. By the way, uh, here's a little tip, um, dads. If you're, if you're wanting to teach your children something that you're still in the process of working out in your own personal life, just tell them, well, this is, 
This is where we're trying to get to, but I'm still living that out. I don't live that out perfectly. At least then they understand, okay, dad's still working on this one. You know, children kind of grow up thinking dads are perfect until they learn they're not. Right? We had a little joke in our house because dad had an answer for everything. Dad seemed to know everything until one day we had moved to another state and there was this bird called the hummingbird. And somewhere dad had gotten the wrong information that hummingbirds never land, that they sleep while they're flying. And of course, Washington's filled with hummingbirds. We always had feeders and brought them around. And one day, my brother and I saw a hummingbird land. I mean, we never let my dad live that down. It became the household joke. Hummingbirds never land. See, we don't have to have it all perfect and all right. We just have to be honest and open about the journey that we're on. Faith brings favor. So I put on the outline, you can get these online or whatnot, the best model, I believe, for teaching your children is in what the Hebrews called the Shema. It's in, it's in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. These will show up on the screen, and I'm going to go through them very briefly. But you could go through them on your own time and use them as a guideline for all that you're going to do with your children. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Make Jesus Lord of all. The old saying, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Come on. Make Jesus your number one priority and then impart that to them. And it's going to give them faith to get favor from the Lord. Then number two is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, with everything you've got. That simply means place Jesus first in everything. Our lives are to be spent with the energy of loving Jesus first. Then verse 6, keep Jesus in your heart. It simply says, these commandments I give you shall be in your heart. And that's the difference I explained earlier about how you can cause obedience from outward pressure, but if it doesn't get in the heart, as soon as the pressure is removed, that person will go back into disobedience. So what you want to do is make sure that your obedience is from the heart as a model and example for your children. Keep Jesus in your heart. And you can coach them along the way. You know, we had little things that we did with our children. You know, they'd get to fussing with each other. And then, you know, we'd say, now, y'all knock it off and hug and kiss one another and tell each other you forgive. So they would look at each other and you forgive you. And then, you know, of course, you do the old parent thing. Now, now look them in the eyeballs. And, you know, making a brother and sister look in the eyeballs is just like torture, right? Now say it from the heart. I forgive you. I forgive you. You make them release the emotion. Keep it in your heart. Teach his ways along the way. And this is where um, in Deuteronomy, what he's saying is, listen, as you go, as you go about your life doing, what I want you to do is talk about the Lord during those times. As you go do sports, talk about the Lord. As you go on vacation, talk about the Lord. As you go on hiking trips, talk about the Lord. In other words, I want 
the Lord Jesus and His Word to be common conversation in your homes. Then, verse 8, don't hide Jesus. Don't hide Jesus. You have to model your children. Don't hide your Jesus. Because children, if they're raised in church, naturally want to hide their Jesus. So in their case, it was, put these things on your forehead and put them on your sleeves. Just put, in other words, in modern day vernacular, it would be, make a big old postcard of Jesus and then put it on your forehead and say, Jesus. And walk around with it for a while. Why? Because you are to model being open about your Jesus. If you model being having a hidden Jesus, you send an unintentional communication of shame about your Jesus. And we don't want to do that. So be open about your Jesus. Teach your children to be open about their Jesus. Don't hide him. And then verse 9 Always remember Jesus in everything you do. See, because he gave them, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to put Jesus on your doorposts and on your walls. Well, that's so simple. You know, we buy scriptures and hang them on the wall, plaques, right? My wife hangs scriptures all over the refrigerator, puts them on the mirror. The point is, is that children were raised just always remembering Jesus. It's all over the place. Honor your father and your mother and it's going to bring prosperity. But then when you impart faith to your children, it's going to bring favor. Let me close with um, how the Lord got a hold of me. Even though I wasn't raised in church, I was so grateful that my dad lived a life of integrity and I lived a life of wholeness. He was a family man and a provider. So when God appeared to me at the age of 15, and I responded in faith, I responded by hearing and obeying. My parents taught me to hear and obey. There were consequences in my home if you didn't hear and obey. Dad had a favorite chair. And the rules were crystal clear. There was no gray. As long as dad was gone, anybody can sit in the chair. But when dad got home, you got up from the chair. And dad sat down in the chair. And he'd read his paper and do his thing. We understood that. But if he ever said to you, Hey, Ben, get out of the chair. I'm here to tell you, and you just looked at him, oh boy, was there going to be trouble. The kind of trouble I didn't want to have. I even taught my children the fear of my dad because they were allowed to sit in the chair until dad got home. And so my dad would get home from work and one of the, my friends would be sitting in the chair and I would say, hey, you better get out of the chair <laughs> before my dad had to tell him. You know you can do that to brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way? You can go to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can see that God is approaching their lives, and you can say, hey, Dad's coming. You might want to get out of the chair. That's called being accountable to one another, encouraging one another to do the right thing. So when God spoke to me, I listened. And he said, do you believe in me? 
I said, yes, God, I believe that you exist. And he spoke to me a second time and said, do you believe in me enough to give your life over to me? And I began to think, if God created me, he's the creator, I'm the creator, created, to believe in God is to let him run your life because he's got a better way of life for me than I could choose for myself. That was at the age of 15. So I said to God, yes, you are in charge. You can run my life. That's a simple way of saying Jesus is Lord. And from that moment, God's Holy Spirit came to live inside my heart, inside my mind. I had an immediate hunger for the Bible. I began to read in the book of Matthew. But I remember that first year or two when God's voice would speak to me so clearly. And I think for an entire year, all I heard from God was, get out of that chair. In other words, all God did was say, that behavior is no longer acceptable. I need you to change that behavior. But because I was trained to hear and obey, I obeyed it. Why did God have to start with my behavior? That's because my behavior was self-destructive. And God loved me so much that he wanted to give me the precious gift of repentance. And one thing we learned in the pandemic is that Christians whose lives were not built on fundamental repentance from sin washed out within the first week. And so preachers across America are repenting from not preaching repentance. Because what we learn is that the only thing that will withstand the storms is repentance from sin. And then I build everything else on that. And so I repented over and over again as God said, get out of that chair, get out of that chair, get out of that chair. I began to think God was just a God of no. Until finally, I begin to hear his still small voice speak yes this is what I want you to do oh that voice has been so precious to me honey could I borrow you just a minute you know what, how precious that voice has been to me I went to a, a, a school in college and you know you have opportunities in college and as I would get close to different girls there that I was interested in and they were interested in me the still small voice in me would say no and I learned what that voice meant in my early days of Christianity no means no and there were sometimes that meant I had to repent because we had started forming an emotional bond no and some of these were good Christian women but the answer was no I begin to think well God is the God of knows about my relationships I heard no so many times that we formed a club in college called Bachelors to the Rapture. And then the day came that I met this gal right here. And all of a sudden, all those no's I heard, as clear as the no was, I heard a yep. 
Like, really? Yep. <laughs> Isn't that something? I let God choose my wife. He turned his no to a yep. He saw something in her that was right for me. I wonder if he saw something in me that was right for her. <laughs> but he saw something in her that was right for me. But you know, because I had learned to obey the voice of the Lord, he protected me until that yes came along. Thank you, dear. He is desperate to initiate a relationship in your life. He's so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should inherit eternal life. God is desperate for a relationship with us, and he wants that. He wants to teach us how to obey and to build our lives on the precious gift of repentance. And maybe you're that person that is listening, that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you didn't build your life on repentance. And then when the hard times came, you washed out. Why not choose to repent today and start building your life on the solid rock, the bedrock of Jesus Christ by learning to obey his voice? Maybe you're listening to this message and you realize, I have not honored my father and my mother. And if I want to do better in life, I got to get that cleared out. Start repenting today by simply making a decision. Write a letter to them, honoring them, thanking them for the gifts that they imparted into your life. Maybe you're here this day and you realize you have not been imparting faith to your children by bringing them up in the children and the teaching of the Lord. The best way you can do that is to make sure your children are committed with you in the local church. And then the local church won't do it all for you, but they'll help you. They'll, you'll partner with a larger group of people to teach your children the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you need to repent in any of these areas, just tell God right now, just tell God where you need to repent. And as you repent before the Lord, God is going to be building a solid foundation, a bedrock foundation that you can start building your utopia on, where you can experience blessings and experience prosperity and experience favor from the Lord. So Lord, I pray for every person listening to this broadcast right now, every person in this building right now, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that you would grant us the precious gift of repentance, Lord God, to build our households right. And I thank you for that precious gift of repentance. Church, I'd just like for you to pray these words after me. This is a, a, a prayer we pray so often that gets us that new beginning with God. Pray these words. Say, God, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this earth. He went around doing good, healing all who were sick and all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And he was buried in the grave for three days. But God resurrected Jesus. 
And now Jesus rules in heaven. But I want Jesus to rule in my heart. Jesus, come in. Be my Savior and my Lord. My God and my King. Give me your peace and your joy. And fill me with the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is my prayer of repentance. And I boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Say it a little louder. Say, Jesus is Lord. Now say it really loud. Say, Jesus is Lord. And that is how we get a new beginning. Boldly proclaiming our Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week podcast. Sermons are livecasted every Sunday, 10 a.m. Central, on Facebook and YouTube. Find out more about us by visiting our Facebook page or visiting our website at Abundant.us.